Hi everyone, I'm Bronwyn Beth, and welcome back to The Misfit Musician, the podcast where music and mental health meet. This week I had the privilege of interviewing Cameron Davis. We both went to Westchester University together, but we've honestly connected a little bit more post-Westchester actually. First and foremost, I just want to extend a trigger warning because we will be touching on um, some suicidal, a suicidal episode and also on Cameron's experience um, with hospitalization. It's a small part of the episode, but if that's something that would trigger you or affect you negatively, please skip it. I am putting time codes into the show notes. So if you want to fast forward through that part, you can look in the show notes and know when it's coming up. I'm so grateful to Cameron sharing so openly. I think our conversation was really healthy and meaningful, but I you know, don't want you to listen to something that would be harmful for you. My second note is I'm still figuring out some of the audio things. I actually had a tech issue at the beginning, so we had to improvise a little bit for recording this. Um, But you can hear the refrigerator, sometimes um, Cameron's super cute cat, Molly. There's garbage truck at one point. Um, And also you can hear the thumping of our emphatic hand gestures on the table because we are very into our conversation. So basically you're just going to hear life. I'm still figuring out how to work all of this. I'm very new to recording things. um, So bear with me, but we're keeping it real over here. So let's get into this episode. I hope you enjoy this interview with Cameron. I think we can just start by letting you kind of introduce yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Cameron Davis. I went to Westchester University, class of 2019, and I studied music education and music performance and just graduated with a music performance degree in percussion performance. And I did um, one year of a master's program there as well in percussion performance and orchestral conducting, studying with David Nelson, Ralph Sorrentino, and Joseph Caminetti. And I'm a musician by heart. I love all kinds of art, uh, any medium. But these days, I'm actually working at a craft coffee shop, an independent roaster, and I absolutely adore it. Uh, But music is still a huge part of my life, and. I enjoy it every day and still keep my fingers moving. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have a lot of questions about how you got from music degree to what you're doing right now. Um, So first, why did you choose to study music in the first place? Like, what did you love about it? What drew you to it? I actually got a really late start in my musical career. Hmm. I... My first instrument was trombone, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, in I fourth didn't know grade. That. Okay. I was not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to this day, trombone's actually my least favorite instrument, and I think it's just um, stems off the resentment from being forced to um, to play it. Who um, forced you? My, our uh, band director. I wanted to play percussion, but how the placement worked in my grade in my school in fourth grade is that all the instruments were lined up in a row and we took turns going down the line and if we had a natural um, disposition towards one of them that's usually the direction that we would be like kind of funneled into but i really wanted to play the drums and i think we just had too many and so i got stuck on trombone and i quit after a year so flash forward um, to sophomore year of high school, um, when I was 15 years old, uh, my band dir- uh, my band director um, and I were kind of like friends, just um, acquaintances. And uh, I asked my parents, hey, can I get a drum set for my 15th birthday? Nice. They got the Bravest Parents Award that year. <laughs> um, and I 
they told me on a condition that if I they were going to get me this drum set, I would have to do something productive with it. Okay. So, <laughs> you can't just bang around on exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I got lessons as well, and I joined my school's indoor drum line, and that was the true beginning of everything. Nice. I was placed on cymbals, and I didn't know how to read music or anything, so I was taught in rehearsal, took lessons outside, and worked really hard. And they asked me if I wanted to do marching band, and that was the slippery slope that then dragged me further and further um, just into everything music. And nice. before I knew it, I was absolutely hooked. That's so cool. Yeah. So it was like four years you were playing drums before you went to college, or more than that? I'd say about like two and a half. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you got good really fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't keep me away from the things. It was that's amazing. I it was it's truly a labor of like passion and love, and that's kind of what I do. That follows me no matter what I'm doing in my life. Your approach to life. Yes, I love it's, that. Um, the things that I care about, I care about a lot, mm-hmm. and I'll go to X and Y lengths to either fulfill that or help other people or do whatever I can anything involved with like music and now coffee Mm -hmm. art it all flows from the same place so cool thank you um what was your process deciding to go to college for music and why did you pick Westchester I so fun fact I originally wanted to be um a music acoustic engineer and I okay. so designing and improving musical instruments because I also had a really uh, I had a, I had a fondness for physics okay uh, senior year of high school um I didn't even know that was a job like right? it makes sense it's a job but I like never thought about that right yeah. and there's like one program in in undergrad in the in the whole country I think it's like the Hart School of Music in Connecticut okay, yeah um that has a, an undergrad program for music um acoustic engineers wow um but i really don't like math so <laughs> it really doesn't add up problem. i do not have a mathematical brain yeah um very much a right brain person so i thought well i really like my band director he helps me he inspires me every day um I'll go to school for being a music educator mm. and i've been so gifted with parents that they don't really care about my my status in life, about how much money I make, what if I'm contributing or anything. They just want me to be happy. So That's they incredible. said, "Hey, go for it. Uh, we're here. We're cheering you on." And and he, and then I wound up at Westchester. Yeah. Um, and that's because my sister went there. Okay. She, when I was a freshman, she was a senior, which came in handy for many different things. But she um, she really gave me someone something to latch onto my first year because i was the only person in my entire class from my high school who went to westchester so i was really thrown into like hey you are now the little fish in the big pond yeah big time where did you grow up um i graduated high school outside um in a town outside of Reading, pennsylvania yeah um but i was born and raised in rochester okay new york yeah nice moved here when uh moved down to pennsylvania when i was 11 and had to kind of like start from scratch. So I was, I guess I was yeah. used to that, like being thrown into a place with like no one I knew. Right, but college is even bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you got your degree in performance? Correct. So at some point you switched from ed to performance mm-hmm. and then you decided to go back for a master's mm-hmm. and was that in conducting? Yes. Okay. Um. So, are you asking, like, the evolution of Yeah, that? just like kind how? of, like, how your process shifted in your mind, and then, yeah, and then, like, what are you conducting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gladly. Um, I started with uh, perform- uh, music ed, um, because I thought I wanted to be a high school marching band teacher, mm-hmm. or just a band teacher, anything. Um, and I got to my junior year. Uh, in college and I got really inspired with like the art and the mastery that is required to like really play your instrument well Mm. 
And that really drew me in, being able to pick out different sounds and, oh no, like this passage, it lives like this, not this. Like yeah. put more emphasis on this note and that will stir something in mm. me. Um, that was something I was really drawn to. Seriously, like the artistry and the craft and everything that went into be um, a performing classic classical musician. Mm. So I started embarking on that path junior year. And at this point, I was a double major in both ed and my performance. Okay. And I was much more interested in, again, like focusing on myself, my own skill set, rather than teaching the skills sets to others. Right. And by the time I got to... Um, oh, I guess I get in the middle there in junior to senior year. I also met um, Joseph Caminiti, who yes. is the, who was the director of our orchestra. The sweetest human alive. The sweetest, most pure <laughs> cinnamon roll of a man. And he did a lot to open my eyes about how music lives in that, oh, someone else thinks of it this way too. Mm. Because I experienced music very... Um, Interestingly, and when I, well, I mean, everyone experiences music differently, but right. and, and that's just a thing. I, that yeah. was news to me, um, I guess, in a way. I think um, that's so fascinating. Like, you'll never know how someone else hears something. Yes, I think yeah. about it all the time. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I think that's one of the one of the main things that drew me into conducting at this point as well, because there's that idea that hey, this lives very specifically in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this piece of music, whatever it is. Um, and I think it's neat. So I want to portray that to other people. Yeah. And these were things, uh, I was experiencing music in such a way that I, it really made it, had a profound impact on my day-to-day life. Um, one movement of concerto could totally sway my mood. Mm. Or um, another movement of a symphony could totally, you know, I'll fight a bear now. Like, I feel amazing. Um, Or it would just paint such lovely pictures and I could see such amazing colors and shapes that would go about them that I was just like, I want to help other people see what I'm seeing and Mm. hear what I'm hearing um, and feel what I'm feeling. So that's what led me down to conducting. Um, Because I would hear certain different recordings of pieces and I would be able to pick out what I liked about a certain passage that this recording did, but I like this passage in this recording. Yeah. So like, what if I mash them together and create like my ideal version? Yeah. And that's what kind of like got me on the role of conducting. Um, and I was taking um, independent study lessons with um, Mr. Caminiti and, and forming my own groups um, in undergrad of, of my own peer musicians which was like one of the hardest things i've ever done just getting them in the room together yes <laughs> i'm sure you know it's like hurting sheep yes <laughs> um but, but it was so rewarding being able to like look back on the finished product and say i helped do that yeah i helped unify these um these idea these people and this idea to create this awesome thing it's really beautiful yes it's beautiful even though it was written 200 years ago by someone across the ocean Mm -hmm. here we are it's just as relevant today as it was then so i get to student teaching and i'm in middle school placed in a middle school (laughs) is this uh spring of senior year yes okay this is spring uh excuse me this is fall of senior fall senior year okay and I did not like it. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like it at all. That's such a hard age, too. It's a really yeah. hard age. Like, middle schoolers with instruments. Yep. And um, I'm being placed in there to help them create something. But I am there to, like, basically conduct quarter notes. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part about me about it for me was I couldn't even focus on my conducting there because my co-op would say oh you know you're it's too elaborate okay. or confusing like just up in down uh, down in out right out it just has them. to be like perfectly clear right. no extra movement and that was hard for me yeah because i was like this is something that i'm really training myself to get to the next level at to think outside of the box to think differently at and i'm just confined 
Trying to, to like take the expression out of your gesture. Right. Yeah. Um, and while it's a, an enormously important job, uh, and it's so invaluable to our community, to our society, to our culture, it wasn't for me. I'd rather have someone be there who wants to be there and not do a disservice to the profession, to the kids by not being interested in it. Yeah. So that was a major thing. And the other thing that drew me out of uh, student teaching, I didn't make it past my first placement, by the way. Um, I withdrew from student teaching and I pursued, I I just took a, I went part-time that semester. Okay. Partly in reason, um, because I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues at the same time. Yeah. And being locked in to a place that I didn't want to be on top of having all of those issues um, that I was grappling with, I would just go into school and just be a shell, like a noticeable shell. Yeah. Did those um, mental health issues, did they crop up during college or were they something that like you dealt with before? Fun fact, I... Uh, Oh, not so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like a model, like when I think of like not having mental health issues mm-hmm. at all, like a, like a, what are they called? Stoic it? or something? Not even stoic, just um, well-adjusted, okay. um, neurotypical person. That was me in high school. And my first semester of college I was I was speaking to my my partner at the time about how I was feeling, mm-hmm. and she said, "Cameron, I think you might be depressed." And I was like, "Me? What?" <laughs> and as I went along that first fall semester, I started realizing, like, "Oh my god, I can't do this." Uh, well, I could, and but I needed help. Right. Um, and that was always a prevalent theme throughout. Well, since then to this day, mm-hmm. I've always been kind of grappling with that kind of uh, underlying sadness that can really um, plague and get in the way of a lot of our lives. Yeah. Um, and it can be, it's some days the voices are really quiet and some days they're really loud. And on the days they're really loud and you have something else really important going on or where you're expected to be in that performance mode. Right. It can be really challenging. So hard. It's yeah. really hard um, to just turn it off and set it on the counter. Some people can do it really well. Um, some people need a lot more, like they need training on how to do it. Because I think yeah. it's, a, it's a skill um, to be able to like turn it off and like, put it on the shelf or whatever you need to do. It's a skill, but it's also kind of a problematic skill to have. It's absolutely, Because then you yeah. can't, sometimes you can't like take it back off the shelf. Right, right. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because there's, de- it's definitely a double-edged sword mm-hmm. if you get locked into placing it on the shelf and then it just, just becomes avoidant. Yeah. And like I have a, a like literal box that I picture mm-hmm. inside my body mm-hmm. that I push everything into and I lock the door and I can like feel it inside of me it's, but then sometimes I can't unlock the door yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then like you're you're I I, I adopted the same skill mm-hmm. um because I feel well I know that a defense mechanism for dealing with a lot of these really unpleasant sometimes like black feelings that we can sometimes have um, is numbing and muting everything. And what I learned um, during my extensive like mental health education and um, treatment is you can't selectively numb emotions. So that's not a, it's just a defense mechanism that your brain uses to get you through the day or whatever you need to. Um, by shutting down everything. And that's why um, I feel, that's why I think a lot of people can describe depression or having those that really intense sadness as just numb. Yeah. Um, not being able to laugh, not being able to cry, not being able to really feel anything. Right. Which is very frustrating and it can be really defeating and scary at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but like, it's a so I guess the idea of like shutting down and numbing uh, and putting in a box can be helpful, but it can also really be damaging, and it can 
if you're not careful, it's a pernicious thing that can weave its way into becoming a lifestyle yeah. and just an emotional state, which is not healthy right. at all. And when you're in college, it's really hard to like give yourself or even have the time right. to be able to take care of your mental health. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. But backtracking all the way. To conducting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I dropped out of student teaching um, because it just got to be too much and try to focus just on performing. And with the way that my music school career went, um, it was really hard for me, especially because mental illness did crop up mm-hmm. a lot. And sometimes music school itself felt like throwing gasoline on a fire, mm-hmm. um, just certain aspects of it. I know any musician will be able, any artist um, will be able to testify that there are some wonderful amazing things you can be exposed to in those like academic artistic um settings yeah Um, wealth of information approaches really open your mind up to a lot of things but i think there's a lot of really negative aspects really negative aspects about those um those climates yeah that are just there um, and they're either addressed or they aren't. I don't think it's a fault of anyone that they crop up. I think a lot of it's just human nature. And Definitely. when you get into that kind of setting, it just gets highlighted. Um, but those things are why I think a lot of people um, develop or have their mental health worsen. Yeah, and I was actually settings. wanting to ask you about this. So do you think that the mental health challenges can sometimes be more than in other fields of study? Or what do you think, like, do you, if I was doing, like, a, uh, I don't know, history degree um, compared to a performance degree, like, what do you think, do you think there's any additional, like, stressors within music that contribute in a way that some other degrees might not? I also have to be careful with the answer because I could I could just say like oh well I went through the music and it was hard for me so (laughs) like like you know a history degree yeah I could I could play that comparative game I think I I think that every degree has specific challenges that are unique to it but with music I think in terms of mental health there's a lot of things that they almost feel like it targets your mental health in a way. Because you have the performance aspect of like having to entertain people, put on a show, having to try to reach people. Yeah. Which can be in and of itself anxiety producing. You know, you have people who get performance anxiety. Um, There's that feeling of being on the spotlight, having people pick apart what you're doing, looking for mistakes, um, judging essentially yeah. whether they whether they're conscious of it or not like they're doing well, it also it's partly like their job like right, anytime right. you go into an audition like mm-hmm. you're there to be judged right yeah right so if it's even or just like a casual performance like a recital or something mm-hmm. um there's always going to be that judgment lingering around there's always going to be that you know kind of performative side of it but i also the part that really got um that really affected me was the feeling of putting something really personal out there. Mm. I think that in order to use your example, if you write a history paper, you're describing the events that already happened and there is in a way an objective, these things happened. Mm -hmm. Boom, and I'm going to tell you about it. Meanwhile, if I, I played the um, the Bach G minor sonata, the fugue, uh, the fugue in mm-hmm. the first beating. Bum, 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 yeah. I played that on marimba, and there's a lot of different opinions about how Bach should be played, as you right. and I both know. <laughs> but this was a piece of music that was very intensely emotional to me, mm-hmm. and it really. I wanted to make the piece my own, and I wanted to take it and. 
because I, th- I, th- I had just so many things to say with it. So yeah. many deeply personal things. And this int- interpretation that I landed on was so crystal clear in my mind and it made so much sense to me. And I think that was part, one of the things that I struggled with is having something so personal and special to you put out there for mm-hmm. other people to be like, that's not how you play Bach. Yeah. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, this is ridiculous. And not that anyone ever said that to me, but I've heard people with like have those kinds of reactions to right. um, interpretations. So having that can be like really challenging. And I know a lot of singers, especially, can get pretty, um, I guess, sensitive about that because what's more personal than your voice? Yeah. Like if you, if exactly. someone doesn't like your aria just because of your voice, like there's nothing you, you can do about what that. Do, you do with that? Yeah. Like okay, I guess I'll just get my larynx short. Like yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> um, but that was the kind of same thing. Like these are my hands. These are what I'm. This is what I'm doing. This is my contribution artistically to this world we're living in this interpretation and then someone is going might could tear it down yeah and of course there's like ways to combat that kind of mindset but that was the one of the things like incredibly personal yes it really got to me over my time there do you think um i mean obviously you studied music for five years five including masters like six yeah and you went back to get your master's so what did you find really healthy about music like what kept you coming back even despite the challenges well i spent my college career which is quote unquote the best years of your life Which I think is False. the most depressing thing anyone can ever say about college. And then if they aren't good, then you're just like, well, my life yeah. can only go down <laughs> right. from here. So like, here we go. Or when you graduate, someone's like, well, this is over. Like, yeah. Time to get your rat race. It's like, thank you for saying the most unhelpful thing yes. I've ever heard. But I got to spend my college years playing music and doing something that filled my heart to the brim mm. and made me feel human. And music is one of those things that I think is one uh, one of the very few intrinsically good things in this world. Like, there's nothing bad about listening to music. You can't listen to too much music. You can't listen to the wrong kind of music. It's it's just, you're right. And you get to have fun and um, you get to enjoy yourself and it connects and unites so many people. Yeah. Overseas, over borders, so you never meet someone who doesn't like some kind of music. Yes. Yeah. It's an easy conversation piece. Yeah. Um, easy way to get to know someone. Easy way to connect with someone. That was one of the best things and something that kept me going hmm. throughout the whole thing is um, both that interpersonal um connection and also the way it made me feel. Yeah. Because I think whether it's a song, whether it's a symphony, whether it's, you know, anything. It like music creates like a moment in time that is just it. So it it breaks up the the humdrum continuity of like day-to-day life and it creates yeah. a moment that just exists within itself and that you can enjoy and lose yourself in whether that's actually playing because i know when like we're up on stage time moves differently mm-hmm. and you lose track of things and it, whether it speeds up or it drags on forever time is warped same thing if you're in a really like emotional state or even if you're just doing something boring yeah add music to it it's Chances are it will be enhanced. Yeah. Cleaning the house with music. Yes. Totally different experience. So different. Yeah. So different. Like doing the jitterbug with a vacuum cleaner. Like, exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, those, that was another thing that I found very like addictive and rewarding about pursuing music. That and I felt myself like improve and mm-hmm. grow so much as a person by learning about different styles of music. Music's in history uh the history of music the impact they had on the world around it uh that kind of stuff fascinating and that's why i kept going with it yeah on the other on the but why i kept going with it also kind of had a darker way um 
a darker side of it because I kept telling myself, oh, I'm supposed to be a musician. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm supposed to be here to do. Like you've committed to it. I've it's committed like part to of who it. you are. Right. Yeah. And as I kept trudging along and became increasingly burned out, that feeling started putting, instead of ins being inspired by it, I, I felt pressure mm. from it. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, yeah. this, I'm a musician. Why do, why, why is this so hard all of a sudden? Why am I struggling to like play anything in the practice room? Why yeah. am I, why is it hard for me to like find the same enthusiasm when someone gives me a new piece of music? Why am I running into these barriers? barriers? What's wrong with me rather than what's wrong around me? Yeah. Yeah. Was there a specific moment where you kind of knew that you needed to like stop your masters and move into a different stage of life? Yes. Um, so this time last year, I was um, intensely, intensely depressed hmm. um, and quite, quite suicidal. And those, those feelings have al always been um, in my life. Um, but I think, especially like talking about suicidal thoughts and tendencies and ideations, yeah. there's a difference there, 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 it crosses a threshold where it changes. And Absolutely. it's like, I don't, there's like a difference between I don't want to be alive anymore and I want to kill myself. Like, yes. I think those are two very different things. And sometimes uh, suicidal thoughts are like intrusive suicidal thoughts rather than when it's more serious, they go into like, you're, you have a plan, you're picturing it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's like a, you said it perfectly like there's a time but um difference between when it's intrusive and when you're ruminating on it yeah. and like you're preoccupied with it it's the only thing you can feel so at that point um this is like late october now i and was this 2020 uh this is pre-pandemic yes. yes this is 2020 so you were doing your degree in the pandemic yep. Oof. Yeah. So that's a whole other. That's a okay, whole other. Didn't help things, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the school of music gave us marimbas to play in my, uh, in our, in my apartment. Like wow. I got to take home a marimba and that's just awesome. learn. So that was my quarantine: was playing Animal Crossing and marimba. Like that was <laughs> it. Um, so and, and of course it was a super stressful time, regardless. Yeah. But I had at that point it was what was getting me through, and okay. the solo I was learning was so much fun. Um. But yes, hard. Yeah. Um, so with all that weight already on me, I decided to check into uh, a partial program. So uh, an intensive outpatient one. Mm -hmm. So I was going to a group four times a week for about two hours. And it was like a, it was a group of, of similarly aged people where we could all just talk and yeah. work through things and shed light. And that was helpful for a couple weeks, but then it eventually grew into that straight up feeling of like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. To the fact where I actually had a plan and one of my counselors, the day of when I was going to try to commit this plan, um, said, something's really wrong. You should check into the hospital. Hmm. So they recommended uh, this program it's called Malvern Behavioral Health it's in South Philly and this is a really um, special place because it was an inpatient program that was age specific so it's from 18 to like 26 okay people so it's not just like 18 year olds in there with like 45 year olds yeah and the weird dynamics that can create it's all just like teens and young adults similar stage of life exactly yeah. and um, so you can commiserate and get help so I stayed there uh, first admittance, I, I actually was in there on Thanksgiving, um, and I had all control stripped of me. I didn't, couldn't get my phone. Yeah. I I had to take like the laces out of my shoes, couldn't wow. wear a belt, like the strings out of my hoodie, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I couldn't. Sh I, I had to ask for my toiletries, my toothbrush, mm. my shampoo. I had to ask for basically like, anything. Um. 
But it was also nice because it was a safe space where I got to meet some really, really good friends and get some help. You could just focus on your healing. Yes. Yeah. Healing and get my meds adjusted, which is really important and yeah. it was really helpful. And it was able to I was able to have that done in like an environment where they could watch me, keep track of me, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so important. Super. Um, so that was really wonderful. And then I got released and to, I feel like that's got to be a really hard adjustment coming out of yeah. all of that support. Yeah. yeah, and they tell you like people aren't ready for a discharge usually because well they are but it's it's easy to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I did get overwhelmed and I had to go back a second time. This time uh, I was there for another well first time I was there for like 12 days and then the second time I was there for maybe a week. Okay. Um, and I was released on the 23rd of December right before Christmas um, and it was I, I got some really amazing help there but I also learned a lot about how I deal with trauma how I deal with emotions and I realized that I when I thought that I was really emotionally open I was actually really good at like shoving everything down mm-hmm. putting it into that box yeah. and ignoring it and actually uh, what I would do is I would help other people with my problems with their problems excuse me and kind of retreat from my own like right. here's something to focus vicariously on vicariously through other people yes <laughs> yeah. um, and that was a problem and I had to adjust that like just pouring from an empty cup putting my health on the back burner so I could help other people that yeah. kind of thing um and it also really helped me um, with the importance of this idea that I got there called like pivoting. Hmm. And I would be constantly preoccupied with the fact that I didn't feel like I was moving forward and with my life. Like I okay. felt like I was running up against this wall. But one of the counselors talked to me about pivoting and how important that was. So if you're a linebacker in football or whatever, I don't watch football. I don't either. Runner, whatever. If you're going towards the goal and there's a huge defensive lineman in front of you, you're not going to go forward in the defensive lineman. You need to pivot and maybe go left and then maybe go around and then this way and that way, zigzag. Do what you need to do in order to get to that end zone, which hmm. is the end goal. So you're not necessarily moving forward in the straight line where you thought you were, but by going left, that is essentially still helping you get to your destination. Right. Because left is now forward, and then maybe right is now forward, depending on what life throws at you. That was really consoling and helped me grapple with the idea that maybe I don't need to just do music for a career maybe i have a different plan maybe the universe has a different plan mm-hmm. um and like being okay with your path looking different than how you thought it was gonna look being okay with that change yeah pivoting and looking into other things because i look back on it now and i i'm so much more open to trying new things now because mm. i had to get out of my own head and see that the world is so huge it is impossible for me to only have to do one thing in order to be happy it's a collection of all these passions and endeavors and personality traits that's what makes me me and what can make me happy and successful and thrive that's where I'm at right now, and that's how I kind of got into coffee. I needed a second job, and I was like, you know, there's this really cute cafe in my town. I can walk to it. Let's try there. Mm-hmm. I love coffee now. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I loved coffee before, but working with coffee, dialing an espresso, mm. giving people something that they're grateful for, they can be grateful for. Yeah. Um, that was so huge in helping me move past the idea that I don't need to do music by itself. I can do other things. Yeah, and the fulfillment that you got from doing music, mm-hmm. do you feel, um, like how do you feel like that's fulfilled through coffee or through how your life looks right now? The cool thing about music goes back to 
that thing where everyone can connect with it. Mm. And the cool thing about coffee shops is that it's a really cool place for a community to meet. I know so many of my regulars by name, I know their order. I really care about the people who come to see me and what their drinks are and they, they understand that. And they seem to care about you too. They definitely yeah. do. And which is, a, it blows my mind, um, but it's so special and wonderful. But I'm, I'm reaching out and connecting with all these people and they find out I'm a musician and all of a sudden I'm really good friends with the music director of a Presbyterian church around here who comes in all the time. I'm friends with this guy who has a really cool jazz group that comes in all the time. Fun. All of this kind of, someone who taught music in public schools for is now retired, like that's something for us to talk about. Wow. So I'm connecting with all these people and one of my regulars, she comes in and she says, like, have any good, like, pieces for me? And I'll, I'll throw her, like, oh, yeah, you should check out this Mendelssohn symphony. Or, That's and, amazing. And it's cool because, like, I'm, like, a tatted up, pierced, pierced <laughs> yeah. dude. And, like, I'm talking about, like, Mahler with right. this, like, 60-year-old woman. And it's just the coolest way to connect. And it tears down walls and mm-hmm. stereotypes and, and everything. And it just lets people connect and enjoy things. Yes. That's how music has worked its way into my current situation. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've really branched out since I left music school. I'm learning, I'm learning guitar now, electric oh, nice. and acoustic. I'm playing even more piano than I ever have. Uh, I'm playing zero percussion now because I live in an apartment and I don't have a drum set. Yeah. And that doesn't work well. Do you miss that? So much. Yeah. So intensely. And... A misconducting too mm. because there are so few places where you can do that outside yeah. re- regularly outside of an academic setting right that was really a, a special time in my life and I miss it and I'm glad it happened but I don't know I'm always curious to see like how I would handle it now if I would if I have you know my lifestyle has made adjustments that would make me better at doing that now than mm. it was later but I'm not, I'm just not sure. I'm really happy with where I am now. And, but there's still more growth to be made as well. Always. Yes. Yeah. So not complacent, but happy. Yes. And at one point, um, I guess over the last few months, we were chatting and you had mentioned something about going on to become a therapist, potentially. Yeah. And I'm curious about that and mm-hmm. what your thoughts are on that at this point. Um, this was actually during my second hospitalization. One of the counselors there was talking to me, and he said, you know, your peers really grow attached to you quickly. Mm-hmm. They, they like you a lot, and they like talking to you about things. You're a really empathetic, compassionate person who's good at listening. Have you ever thought about being a counselor? I said, no, I haven't, but darn. Like, I would lo- I, that sounds great. Like, yeah. I, I can give advice. I'm really sensitive about whether people want an ear to listen or just are looking for help. That's mm-hmm. a question I always ask now for my friends when they come to me with something. I ask, what do you need from me? Are you looking for advice? you just want to complain to someone? Like, what's up? Um, how it ties into um, therapy is I really want to if I were to become a therapist, I would really want to be a specific one that specializes in working with performing artists. Because hmm. I've been through those same hoops. Yeah. I've been through, I know... You know what it feels like. Yes, the pressures yeah. and the specific ways that you can start talking to yourself and viewing the world around you that become problematic hmm. in that field. So I thought about being a counselor for performing artists, and that's always still on the table. You know, like you can, I can always go back to school. I can yeah. always like pursue that. Um, and with my personality and the way I hold myself, I think I would be good at it. Um, still, a lot of a lot more schooling, um, but that's always been like a fun dream I've I, I've had um, yeah. for the past year. Is is being a counselor for performing artists. I think that would be really beneficial because Lord knows 
a lot of us need it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so I have just a couple more questions, mm-hmm. but thanks for sharing so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. <laughs> it's like making me tear up. I just oh, really appreciate so. it. Yeah, you're course. such an earnest, like in the moment person, and it's just really, really beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so for people who are thinking about going into a music degree, mm-hmm. what do you think people should consider before doing something like that? And are there qualities that you think someone can have that would make it easier for them? I think before you go into a music degree, I think you should know that it's a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of very, it, it's, it's a specific kind of work. You should be comfortable with tearing yourself down and building yourself back up again in a way that's sustainable. Um, because anyone can say, can look at a video of themselves and be like, oh, I don't like the way I did that. I don't like the right. way I did that. I don't like the way I did that. And our brains are designed to pick out negative aspects first, it's survival instinct. But then having the kind of resilience and um, faith in yourself to be able to say, okay, well, that's not good right now what can we do to change it yeah or what are some ideas so not letting yourself be bogged down by all like the negative things that you can see in yourself because we're all going to see negatives in ourselves. absolutely it's, it's what you do with that information moving forward it's our brain trying to like <laughs> yeah. protect us yes yeah and that's another huge thing is working with the way that your brain is wired because thoughts will happen whether you want them to or not mm-hmm. and that's i think where a lot of people get toxic positivity from it's Mm. like well no wait i'm thinking this but i should be thinking that everything's fine everything's not fine (laughs) and it's only going to make it worse to keep saying that to yourself learn how to roll with your brain and realize that a lot of what your brain does is trying to protect you from something your brain constantly learns and draws from past experiences and that's what are forming the thoughts that you're having now mm-hmm. um, so it's all about taking your brain and saying thanks for that input how is that going to help me is it a is it a productive thought and if not how can we turn it into something that we can use to better ourselves better our process better our musicianship um, that's the that I think that has to be the main thing is yeah. just not being too hard on yourself self-compassion you gotta have self-compassion because i did not for the longest time and i'm still working really hard on cutting myself a break yeah um i'm a perfectionist so when i'm not good at something right away um i really am my own worst critic and i've said way worse things than anyone else could possibly say to me Mm -hmm. um and I think here's a good example looking at yourself like you are an eight week old puppy. Yeah. That puppy doesn't need to do a single thing in the world to deserve love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to pay any taxes. It doesn't need to play a note perfect rendition of a Bach partita. It doesn't need to um, have the spotlight all the time and make millions. It needs to sit there and it will be loved. And that's the exact same thing that applies to us. Um, We just- just, In existing. We need to exist to be loved and that's all we need. Hmm. Of course, it's really hard to do that when you're in an environment where you're picking yourself apart, other people are picking you apart, you're comparing yourself constantly. It's hard. Yeah. And it's a skill that needs to be learned over time and fostered with patience and then hopefully you'll be able to get there but i think that you just need compassion and the ability to be patient and always look to improve rather than just say now that sucked Yeah. yeah i um the idea of compassion i was at a therapy retreat in march mm-hmm. and they had us write notes or letters to our former selves like mm-hmm. the younger version of us and thank ourselves 
for all the things that we did that we might look back and like blame ourselves or be like, well, why didn't you say something? Why did, why were you mean to yourself? Why did you do this? And instead trying to look at it like you're protecting yourself and by thanking yourself, you allow a release Mm -hmm. from kind of holding on to that. And it allows you to use those things to improve your relationship towards yourself yeah yeah and it was so powerful i think that was the most powerful thing i i'm glad you said that i think there's it's fun for me to kind of look back on my past mistakes now i know a lot of people get a sense of a very tangible sense of dread from doing that yeah like lying awake at 1 a.m like why did i say that (laughs) why did i say it enough sharp (laughs) (laughs) or i said thanks you too to the movie ticket person enjoying the film um, those kinds of things, and obviously more more consequential ones, I've learned to be able to say, you have never lived a life before. How on earth were you supposed to know? Yeah. And so, and yes, like people can can warn you, like you know, your grandma can warn you. Oh, don't go into the forest. But really, like you have to know. Sometimes yeah. you absolutely have to know, and you have to trip and fall yourself to be able to say oh maybe i shouldn't run on this like stony path um you just have to certain sometimes you have to make certain mistakes and suck at something you care a lot about in order to make any progress and learn that's the only way that it's one of the only ways we can learn is by trial and error and just owning our mistakes like i can't tell you how many times i've looked back at something and said yeah that's that was really dumb here we are like yep what that doesn't serve me in this perp in this moment now it does for the future because now i'll know remember what happened last time and sometimes it takes a few times but um i agree like thank you for helping me get through that life event yeah. Or that lesson, whatever it was, intact. Exactly. Um, so we have some scars, some bumps, some bruises. Sure. but We're still here. We're here. Yep. Yes, I completely agree. And that's something to be thankful for. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Do you have anything else that you want to say or add? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I think yeah. we covered everything. Honestly, nice. this was so great. This Thank was you fantastic. so much. Thank you, Bronwyn. This is yeah. wonderful. All right. Well, that's my conversation with Cameron. I don't really have any other notes to add to this. I think we covered everything pretty in depth. And I hope that this conversation was as interesting for you as it was for me. And if you have comments, questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, You can send me an email at bronwynbethviolin at gmail.com or you can reach out on my Instagram, which is at bronwynbethviolin. I also am officially approved on Apple Podcasts now, so if you like this podcast or this episode and are interested in leaving a review, that would be so awesome and... Um, I would really appreciate it. I will talk to you guys next week. You are magic. Live in love. <laughs>